Welcome to the Profitable Persuasion Podcast. This is the only podcast you need to learn proven sales and marketing tips and tactics that will help you become a more powerful practitioner of human persuasion and allow you to work less and make more so that you can live a more peaceful and abundant life. And now let's tune in to the revolutionary training by the author, coach, and sales master himself, Steve Clark. So let me start with with my story, and uh, I'll tell the story, and then I'll give you a little bit of uh, background on when I use it and, and how I go about using it, but I just kind of listen for the story a little bit. So here's my background as far as sales are concerned. Uh, I got into the sales profession on November the 24th, 1980. And I remember the day very well because it was my 30th birthday. And I was driving a uh, uh, old beat-up Toyota truck uh, over to the Orkin place to go to work for Orkin Pest Control. And uh, I was 30 years old. I was broke. I had been uh, in uh, worked in state government for a few years. I'd actually taught school for a year. And I was, I was basically disgusted and I was broke. So I thought I would get into sales uh, because uh, I thought that in sales uh, there was a great opportunity. And uh, I thought that if I was good at it, I could uh, you know, do very well. And at least I would get paid what I was worth uh, as opposed to working in state government which you got paid what somebody else thought you were worth. So I went to work for Orkin Pest Control. And for the next two years, uh, I made exactly what I was worth, which was not very much. And I was, I was pretty much starving to death. And I came home uh, one day in, in late November uh, of 1982. My wife was pregnant. With our first child, she was uh, nearly nine months pregnant. In fact, that child would be born just a few weeks after this incident happened. But I came home, pulled up in front of my driveway, uh, which is a uh, driveways uh, sounds real, uh, you know, exclusive. But no, it was I pulled up on the side of the road, which was in front of the fence and between the fence and the road in front of our house, which is where I parked. At that time, we lived in an eight hundred square foot wood frame house that was off grade meaning it set up off the ground on blocks uh and we heated the stove with a wood-burning fireplace uh no central heat no central air we did have an air conditioning unit in the bedroom and one in the living room that was it so i pulled up in november and the water company truck was there and i jumped out of my car and asked them what they were doing and they said they were there to turn the water off and uh I asked them if there was anything I could do to keep them from turning the water off. And they said, uh, you know, the, uh, the only way that, that they would not turn the water off was if I called the water company and had the water company radio to them not to turn the water off. And by this time, it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. They closed at five. So the water company was about two miles away. So I 
uh, asked them if they would radio back to the water company and talk to them and tell them that I was uh, on the way over there to pay the water bill so they wouldn't turn off my water. Now, the water bill was only $14.82, and I didn't really have $14.82, but in the house, uh, on my dresser, I had a one-quart mason jar that I kept spare change in, and I went into the house, grabbed that mason jar, and got in my car and drove the two miles to the water company and counted out quarters and dimes and nickels and a couple pennies, and I paid that $14.82 water bill. And the water company radioed to the guys not to turn the water off, so uh, we ended up having water. Well, after I got over that event, uh, I began to feel very angry. Uh, I was very humiliated, uh, and I vowed to myself that no matter what I had to do, that I would never be in that situation again. And that was a turning point for me, uh, and that I got very serious about the sales profession, and I went uh, about learning everything I could to be successful so that I would never have to endure that embarrassing situation again. Uh, fast forward uh, to uh, 1999, uh, and at that point, uh, I've gone from not being able to pay a $14.82 water bill to making over $350,000 a year. But you fast forward between 1982 and 1989, in that 17-year period of time, I went from making about uh, $12,000 a year to a little over $350,000 a year. Uh, and there were struggles along the way. I didn't get there overnight, but I applied myself. I read everything I could read. Uh, I studied everything I could study. I listened to thousands and thousands of hours of audio recordings, uh, read hundreds and hundreds of books, literally, and it, uh, took every spare dime I could get my hands on to go to uh, seminars and training sessions and workshops uh, to really become a professional salesperson. So... That's how I got started in this business of sales, and that's how I got to be where I am right now. So let me stop for a second. Now, that story took, well, it probably took about nine minutes to tell you that story. Um, so let me pause for a second and ask you, uh, what did you get from me telling that story? What what? Did you learn or what became evident to you or what was your aha from listening to me tell that story? Hey, Steve, this is Ronnie. Okay, Ronnie, go ahead. Uh, so so I picked up a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, you, you had to hit a point where uh, you were in, in Paris, so 
you, you had a significant event occur that caused you to make a change, to make a decision, to make a change and uh, get better at your profession, uh, which was sales. And then you did everything you could from that point forward uh, to learn about it, to be better at it and become a, uh, a sales professional. And then, you know, from there, your income grew uh, to, you know, the amount that you said. And then it, that's, that's kind of what I picked up from that story. Okay. All right. Good. So I, I think, uh, you know, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. The key, couple of key points there is I got angry and got serious about wanting to, to, uh, to be in this profession. Now, what does that do when I tell that story to another salesperson? Say I met a salesperson and I just met them. They don't really know much about me. And, it could be me telling that story one on one, or it could me could be me standing in front of a group group like I did at a Glazer Kennedy event where there were a thousand people in the room and telling that story. Uh, so it could be one to one, or it could be one to many. What does it do to the audience or the listener when they hear that story as it relates to how they feel about me? And let me let me rephrase that and put it a different way. What am I doing when I tell that story? As far as what is my intention? Why would I tell that story to the audience and take up nine minutes or so of my precious time to tell that story to an audience right off the bat? One uh, for for me, it, it makes you a regular person. Because if I see you up on stage or something like that, I think that, that somehow you've done something that uh, that I can do. Exactly. Uh, so when you tell that story, I think it makes you a regular person to me, and it, it makes me feel like I can do exactly what you what you did because you you know I, I'm going to connect with you at that at that level. That you're yeah. one. Ab- absolutely. You know, all, all it it, pay, ma- it makes me yeah. yeah. It makes me real. Uh, I'm bonding with my audience because I know that most of the people I'm talking to have their own version of that story. Now, they may not have had their water turned off, or they may have had the water turned off, but I know that they're all pretty much, they're all struggling. There aren't many that aren't struggling. And what I'm doing is is relating to them and uh, bonding with them by telling that story. And now, when I tell that story, the rest of what I have to say, people will A, pay attention to more, and B, find it more believable because what I've done is I've made myself extremely vulnerable, and I've uh, done what Dan Kennedy calls making a damaging admission that, hey, you know, I wasn't so hot either. You know, I'm not, uh, you know... uh I don't have all the answers. I've I've been there. I've struggled and and uh, and that sort of thing. So absolutely, it does that. Now, uh, if that doesn't occur in a selling environment, then it makes it much more difficult uh, for someone to buy what it is you're selling. So uh, you want to be you want to be careful that. 
you don't start off initially in a selling environment uh, by just launching into what it is that you're trying to sell. Now, you may have an abbreviated version of what I just uh, did. Uh, I kind of drew mine out there for a minute to to make it a little more exaggerated and drawn out to make a point. But when you are selling, the first thing you must do is you must bond and connect with your audience, whether it's one person or a thousand people. And the best way to do that is to open yourself up and make yourself vulnerable and not pretend to be some hot shot that's got it all together. Because nobody likes somebody that's got it all together. People identify with characters in movies and in books and in real life who are struggling and have somehow overcome that struggle. So that's how I would go about using that story. Now, let me... uh, let me kind of uh, move forward here and give you some characteristics about stories in general, uh, the makeup of stories, uh, how you should use stories. And uh, if you'd like to dig down deeper into this, there's a great book called uh, uh, Tell, to, Tell to Win by Peter Guber, G-U-B-E-R, uh, and talks about this subject in great detail if you want to spend several hours studying uh, and and reading what he has to say. So let's let's take a look at this particular uh, issue here. Um, if I can get my PowerPoint to respond here, I'm getting. Okay, so um, I'm going to give you four points about stories, and uh, uh, I want you to think about these, and the the whole idea here uh, is... It's the whole thing is about the story and it's 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 about the story. Uh, I've titled this. It's the it's the story, stupid. Uh, And the first point I want to make in that is that stories are not icing on the cake. Uh, They are the cake. They're the whole thing. It's not uh, the information that you have to dispense uh, all the data that you have and stuff like that, that's not where the sale is made. The sale is made at the emotional level, and stories are the key uh, to connecting with people on an emotional level. So the first point is stories are icing on, are not icing on the cake. They are the cake. The second point is data dumps, dispensing facts and figures and numbers and specs, uh, they're not stories. So data dumps are not stories. So the best thing you can do is dump them and not use them except sparingly and only when necessary. Uh, the, the third point about stories, about using stories to sell, is that stories move your listeners' hearts. And if you move their hearts, 
then their feet and their wallet will follow. So the best way to move someone and connect with someone at an emotional level, again, is with stories. And the fourth point is stories uh, connect with what's called the limbic or the emotional brain. Uh, that's, that's where stories hit. And uh, as, you, as you think about this thing, uh, you think about uh, the way stories are used. Uh, and if you read the Bible at all or know anything about the Bible or have studied the Bible at all, you'll realize uh, that Jesus did all of his teaching by using stories. Now, in the Bible, they call them parables. But he uses stories or parables to make his point about just about everything. So they're extremely, extremely powerful. The, um, the purpose of telling a story you know, is to energize your audience around whatever your mission or cause or goal is. And when you tell a story, you can only do that if you tell your story with great energy and emotion. Now, I want you to think back a minute ago when I was telling my story. Uh, and think about how you felt as you listened to me tell that story about what was going on. Um, if we could go back and do that again and listen to that again, and you were to somehow be able to observe yourself, you would find yourself, uh, hopefully, uh, identifying with or having empathy with me uh, in that particular situation. So uh, I, I told it with great detail, uh, rich and colorful detail, and I told it with tremendous emotion. Now, truth of the matter is, uh, I have to work myself up to tell that story anymore because I've told it a thousand times, and it's no longer exciting for me to tell the story. Uh, I could give the 30-second version of it and give you the facts uh, about what happened, but I realized that doesn't uh, accomplish my purpose, which is to bond with my audience right away. So uh, I go back and uh, I tell the long version of it, even though I'm sick and tired of telling that story because I've told it a thousand times. You have to be careful about telling stories that you don't get tired of it and resort to uh, shortcutting the process because you're tired of hearing the story that you've told so many times. So the reason that stories work so well is that audiences feel sympathy for characters whose struggles and concerns make them seem authentic and vulnerable. So it's, you know, another characteristic of a, of a story is, is, Maybe maybe sympathy uh, might not be the right word. Maybe it should be empathy. Feel empathy for characters who struggle, uh, struggles and concerns, uh, make them feel real and make them feel vulnerable. So one of the most powerful things you can do in selling is to make yourself vulnerable uh, and make yourself feel a little bit not okay so that people tend to want to emotionally rescue people who don't feel okay. 
uh, and that's an emotional concept. If you if you display characteristics that you got all your stuff together, then no one's going to come to your rescue and and feel empathy for you and try to help you. But if you put yourself in a vulnerable position, then people naturally want to uh, help somebody, and they have empathy for this person who is uh, greatly vulnerable and seems to be struggling and having trouble. So that's exactly what you want them to be doing with you. Now, let's talk about elements of a story for a second. There are really three elements to a story. Uh, the, the first element is uh, a challenge. There's some challenge that exists. Um, in my case, by telling my story, the challenge was my water was about to be cut off. That's the challenge. That's the, the, the issue on the table. I was about to have my water cut off late one afternoon, which meant, you know, I couldn't do anything. Uh, you know, make a cup of coffee, brush my teeth, get a drink of water, you know, whatever. Uh, I had no water. So that was a real challenge. The struggle was all the stuff I went through and the hoops I had to jump through and calling the water company and, uh, pleading with the workers not to turn the water off and going in my house and getting the mason jar with the change in it and driving frantically over to the water company, counting out my nickels, dimes, pennies, and quarters, and paying off the the water bill. That was my struggle. And then my resolution was I solved the problem. The water wasn't turned off. And as I was telling the story, uh, if you'll think back about it, uh, when I presented the challenge, if you'd never heard that story before, you didn't know how it was going to turn out. You didn't know if I was going to be successful in getting them not to turn the water off or if I was going to prevail and, and keep my water turned on. You, you did not know that. Uh, and, uh, Hopefully, there was a little surprise ending, particularly the part about uh, getting the money in the mason jar. You would have thought that it would have been easy enough that I forgot about not making the payment and that I just ran over there and wrote him a check and because I had had enough money. And you, you might would have thought as you were listening to that, well, he's going to go over there and write him a check. And when I... Uh, told the part about uh, having to go in the house and count out, grab the money out of the mason jar. That was sort of a little surprise ending uh, that's, that ended up uh, holding the attention of the audience and, and, and getting you to hang in there until I could finish telling the story. So, again, challenge. What is a challenge? What's the struggle? And what's the resolution? Now, how can you use this? You can use that in a couple different ways. Uh, you can use a personal story if it's appropriate uh, with the person you're talking with uh, or trying to sell to. Or you can tell a story of someone else that has been a client of yours uh, that finds themselves or found themselves in a similar situation as the prospect you're talking to. Uh, 
and you can tell that story about uh, that prospect, that client that you now have that was in a similar situation, that faced a similar challenge, and you can talk about their struggle, and then you can talk about the resolution, which was they came to work with you and let you fix the problem for them. So that's a much more powerful way to make your point than saying to someone, let me tell you how I can fix your problem. No, you know, no, no problem. We can help you with that. Let me tell you how we can fix that. Bing, bang, boom. That's not near as powerful as saying, hey, I understand where you are. I understand this is your situation. And let me share with you, uh, a, a client of mine, uh, just recently that had the same situation. Let me share with you some of their challenges, some of their struggles and what they were struggling with and how they were able to successfully solve the problem they're dealing with. So you tell the story. Now, what you do is you begin to put together stories for every situation that you find yourself in and selling, and you have them as tools in your bag so that you can pull those things out at will and tell that story to illustrate a point or to make your point or to illustrate a point uh, as opposed to just coming out and uh, dealing dealing with facts and figures and shortcutting it by telling people, well, uh, let me tell you how to fix that problem. So I would encourage you to begin to put together situations that you encounter and then put together stories that you can craft they may be fictional stories, uh, or they may be real stories that you've experienced personally, or they may be stories that your clients have experienced. But in any event, uh, take the story, embellish it, put a lot of energy and, and, and uh, emotion into it when you tell it, and let that make your point for you instead of you trying to Steer the conversation uh, about your product and your price and how you go about solving people's problems. So questions or thoughts from anybody at this point? Okay. All right. If, if those are the elements of a story, let's talk about how to build a story. The, the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to get your listeners' attention. Now, I think we would all agree uh, you can't interest them on what it is you're selling until you first get their attention. So you got to get their attention first. Uh, and the way you get their attention is... Uh, by coming out with an unexpected statement or question. Now, in our training, we call that pattern interrupt. And it's designed to be somewhat shocking. The initial statement or question is designed to be somewhat uh, unanticipated by the listener uh, that, that they uh, hear something from you that's totally out of left field. Uh, and then once you get their attention, uh, 
then the next thing you do is you give your listeners an emotional experience by narrating the struggle of what is taking place uh, and, and the the uh, the story itself about uh, you know what you're trying to illustrate, and then finally, the third part of it is you galvanize your listeners by uh, giving them an eye-opening resolution that actually calls them to uh, take an action that you want them to. So, um, again, if you there's there's uh, I wasn't selling anything when I was telling my story, but what I did do is I did I did all three of these by basically uh, getting them on board with me, getting them to pay attention, getting them with me, and then getting them to buy into me as as a human being as opposed to some three-headed monster called salesperson. So, again, I want to take a second and give you an opportunity to ask questions or pause here uh, for comments. So, uh, comments or thoughts from you. Uh, you may have done this previously. You may have you may have done some of this stuff. You may be doing some of this stuff. Uh, you know, if so, I'd like to uh, to hear from you about that. So, comments or questions or statements. Okay, all right. So, I'm going to tell you another story right now, uh, and I'm going to give you the the uh, the intellectual version here, and then I'm going to tell you a story, and then you can tell me which one makes the point better. Okay, so here's the intellectual version of this. You know, we all struggle, and the only way that we can overcome adversity and become stronger and get better and enhance our skills is through the constant repetition of overcoming struggles that we have and persevering. So the concept here is you will never achieve much of anything in life unless you develop tremendous powers of perseverance because you're going to experience multiple failures in your life. In fact, you're going to experience more failures than successes. And the really successful person is the person who experiences all these failures and adversity and perseveres and does not quit. And uh you can apply that to what we're doing here at New School Selling. The people who do the best are the ones who don't quit this training because they understand that the only way you get better is by overcoming uh, struggles that you have. And there are always going to be struggles and there's always going to be more room for improvement. So that's my sales pitch about uh, staying involved in the ongoing training. Now, let me tell you a story that illustrates that same concept without me having to uh, uh, to say uh, that 
in order to, to succeed, you need to continue practicing and staying involved. So here, here is the story. And this is a story that Gubertur, uh, uh, that, that he tells in his book. Okay. He says, one of the most heroic characters I've ever encountered was a young boy with a crippling degenerative disease who lived near me when I was growing up in Boston. His speech was garbled. He couldn't walk and he wasn't able to go to school with the rest of us in the neighborhood. But I could see him at his window every day watching us bicycle up and down the block. One day, his father appeared on the sidewalk hauling a bicycle with training wheels on both the front and the back. This six-wheeler looked as if an elephant could ride it without falling off. As I watched from my window, the boy's father carried him out and put him on the contraption. Then the father went back inside. The kid started to pedal and in a minute the bike tipped over. I could see the father in his window watching. So could the boy. His dad watched him lying there and did nothing. Finally, the boy pulled himself up. Then he went about three feet and fell to the other side. Again, the father just watched. For weeks, that kid kept trying and falling and the father didn't lift a finger. I complained to my mother, but she told me to mind my own business. I couldn't. The drama was too seductive. One Saturday morning, the boy crashed off the curb. I had to go down, but when I reached the sidewalk, the kid waved me off. Then his father tapped on the window glass and shook his finger at me to go away. Convinced he must be some kind of monster, I left the boy trying to pull himself up and ran back home. Then a couple of days later, the kid was out there again. Over he went, up he went again. But then suddenly he was rolling. He made it about 60 feet and then he turned around. And he rode all the way back without falling. I looked up and there was the father grinning down at his son. I looked back to the boy and he was beaming up at his father. Then they both started laughing and waving like crazy. And I started to cry. Finally, I got it. They both knew the boy needed to face the challenge and struggle through it on his own. He needed to be his own agent of change to be active in his own rescue. If his father did it for him, the boy wouldn't feel like a hero. And only if he was the hero would this seminal victory empower him to face the other inevitable and monumental challenges that lay in the boy's future. The only thing better than being the hero of his son's story was being the hero in his own life. And I learned that day just how closely the two are intertwined. So here's the lesson. If you're going to succeed greater than where you are right now, you're going to have to struggle and get better and persevere. Because you will face adversity. You may be facing adversity right now. If you're not facing adversity right now, I can promise you, you will face adversity in the future. And then once you overcome that adversity, there will be another adversity. And life is full of adversities, be they financial, be they health related, be they marital uh, or any other adversity. Your life is nothing but a series of adversities to be overcome. 
So you have to make a decision. Are you a quitter? Are you going to quit at the first sign of adversity? If so, then this is as good as it gets. On the other hand, if you buy into the fact that you're an overcomer, then you will take the adversity and you will struggle through it for what it is, which is a an experience to help you become better than who you really are right now. So which one of those approaches sells the point of, of perseverance better? My explanation of it or the story of the kid? Uh, for me, it's the, the story of the kid. Yeah, no, there's no question. There's absolutely no question. Now, and it, that's, that's an example of taking a story. Now, how, how can I use that story? Well, I just did. I can use that story when someone calls me up to want to quit the inner circle. I can tell them that story and ask them, do you really want to look in the mirror and see a quitter? Or do you want to look in the mirror and see a winner? If you quit on yourself now, what else are you going to quit on in life? And quite frankly, once you quit, it becomes easier to quit the next thing. And then it becomes easier to quit the next thing. And before you know it, you developed a habit of being a quitter. So if you want to go ahead and cancel, that's fine. If you can live with the fact that you're going to start down the road to becoming a quitter, or you can hang in there and get better. Which one you want to do? So that becomes how you can use a story uh, without trying to talk someone into not quitting. So that's, Ronnie, how I, how I would use that story. Now, I would imagine that you guys, are, there, there are a number of you on this call that can probably take something like that, that one story right there, and you can probably use that some way. Uh, if you have children, anybody that has children on this phone call, that is a story that you want to tell your children when they complain about how hard things are. You think you got it rough. Well, let me tell you a story about a little boy. And then you tell the story to your kid. And you say to your kid, you think you have it tougher than that kid? Uh, so, again, stories are, are hugely important. So, the most popular business stories uh, are going to shine light on an interest or goal or problem that both the teller and the audience share. Now, let me say that again. The most popular business stories are going to uh, shine a light on an interest, a goal, or a problem that both the teller and the audience share. So what that means is that you must know your audience. And the more affinity you have for your audience, meaning the more you know uh, what their life is like, the more you can walk in their moccasins or the more you have walked in their moccasins, uh, the better your story is going to be. The thing that makes me most effective, the single thing that makes me most effective as a sales trainer is that I have made more mistakes and had more failures than just about anybody that I will ever train. 
Uh, I've been doing it 30 plus years. I've had more failures than most people will ever have. And whatever the situation a salesperson is experiences, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt and spades. I, I have walked the walk. I know the deal. So I, I understand what they're going through. Uh, and, uh, again, uh, so just so you are aware, uh, life didn't all of a sudden change and have a happy ending after I, uh, resolved that problem of having my water turned off. I've had many more adversities and challenges in 2004. I was sued by a competitor, uh, in federal court. It consumed two and a half years of my life and wiped out my retirement account. So at age 56, I found myself with zero retirement. And having gone through a two and a half year lawsuit, I had to start all over at 56. Now, that's another story. So people who have found themselves on, you know, upside down, I'm like, hey, if you're not 56 and broke, you don't have anything to worry about because you know, I've been there, done that. There is life after that. There, there is life after having been sued in federal court uh, and having your life savings wiped out uh, by uh, having to fight it in federal court and attorney's fees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that is another story of overcoming when someone is talking about the problems they they have. When I told that story in a group, in, a, in front of a group of people, uh, it won me uh, uh, the marketer of the year at the Glazer Kennedy event in Chicago in 2010 or 11. I forget what year it was. Uh, I had 15 minutes to make my presentation. Each of the presenters was given 15 minutes to give all of their marketing, and the audience voted on who they felt like would uh, deserve to be marketer of the year. I submitted 45 pages of documentation to Glazer Kennedy for my marketer of the year competition. I had 15 minutes on stage to state my case to the group and get them to vote for me. I took 10 minutes and told several stories and only five minutes and I only showed about five or six pages of my marketing. And I won the marketing campaign of the year, even though I was next to the last presenter out of about a dozen people. And the reason I won is because I simply told the stories. I told stories of my failure and my struggle. And the audience bonded with me and uh, as a result, ended up voting for me, not because they felt sorry for me, but because they identified with my struggle and the fact that I had overcome that struggle and continued on uh, even after uh, I had been sued uh, and basically found myself dead broke having to start all over again in 2006. Now, Good stories uh, will bury the data uh, inside of them. So if you have a story to tell and you have data that you want to interject into the conversation, instead of just interjecting the data, bury the data inside the story. 
um, state your case inside of a story and and uh, put the data in there so that it becomes part of your story as opposed to something that's sort of just standalone. Data appeals to the left brain analytical. It does not touch the heart. Data does not touch people's heart. Facts and figures do not uh, touch people emotionally. So if you if you must use data uh, in your case, then make sure you do it and build a story around it and put the data in the middle. Now, the faster your story establishes common ground between you and your listener, the more of your story your listener will absorb both emotionally and intellectually. All right. So you when you're telling a story, you want to start off something very powerful. You want to very quickly grab people's attention because you don't have a whole lot of time to do it. And the faster uh, you establish common ground, uh, the more people are going to listen to you and the more they're going to stay with you and the more they're going to absorb. Uh, if you don't make that connection with people quickly, then uh, then they're going to mentally check out with you and you're, you're not going to keep their attention. So make sure when you're telling a story, you open big with something pretty powerful that establishes some kind of common ground between you and them. And again, one of the real keys of this is uh, knowing uh, your audience and knowing who it is you're speaking with and really understanding what it is they're dealing with uh, and getting inside their world and inside their head. Uh, and when you do that, then you can design a story around what is going on in their world. Now, just because you have a story to tell doesn't mean that it's a story that your prospect cares about. The story must be about something that is a common concern or issue or situation between you and them. So the story needs to address their challenge and their issue. Uh, it can't just address your issue and be something that they don't care about or, or doesn't uh, resonate with them. Now, let's talk uh, uh, about uh, the types of stories. There are a number of uh, different type of stories. So, uh, there are stories uh, about uh, who I am, in other words, origin stories. Uh, what I told you earlier about me to start off is an origin story. Uh, basically, it, it's talking about who I am. Uh, there's another type of story about uh, why are you here. In other words, you're telling basically why you are doing what you're doing. Uh, I refer to that as a self-disclosure statement. Uh, uh, someone asks you, uh, you know, who are you? Uh, you know, when, how'd you get in this business? Uh, uh, what are you all about? Uh, uh, never heard of you. Uh, all of those kinds of things give you an opportunity to tell people why you are there. Now, it doesn't have to be a nine-minute story. 
So let me give you an example of a client of mine who uh, sells life insurance. Uh, his name is Jay Stubbs. He lives in Mobile, Alabama. And when he was three years old, um, his uh, mom and dad were coming back from a football game at Southern Mississippi, and they were driving home at night. Uh, they were in a car wreck, and his father was killed. His mother lived, but his father was killed. Now, fortunately, his father had life insurance. And he had enough life insurance that Jay's mother did not have to go to work after her husband was killed. She was able, with the money from the life insurance policy, to stay home and raise her son and daughter and send them both to private school because the father had enough foresight to have life insurance. Now, Jay is a life insurance agent. So he tells that story to people about why he sells life insurance and why he is so passionate about selling life insurance. So he tells that story on the front end to people. And when he does, everything else he says they pay attention to because they believe him. They know he has a mission. So that would be an example of why are you here story. Uh, another example of a story would be teaching stories. These would be stories that you want to use, uh, particularly uh, useful or third-party stories that you could use to tell uh, tell a story about someone uh, or the story I just told about the boy on the, uh, the bicycle. Uh, that's a teaching story about a concept of perseverance. Uh, another kind of story would, would be vision stories or what-if stories. You could tell what-if stories. Uh, about what would happen with someone, uh, you know, again, using like a, uh, uh, a client and uh, telling a story about why they uh, were successful and uh, the implied thing being you can be this way too. What if, what if you do this, you can be where they are. Uh, another type of story would be uh, I know what you're thinking stories which you could be addressing the fact of all kinds of objection and, and uh, things like that uh, by saying things to people. Uh, you know, if, if, uh, if I were you, I probably would be skeptical about this. I'm not so sure I'd believe, uh, you know, a guy like me just coming in. And if that's where you are, I understand that. Uh, and so basically what you're doing is you're reading people's mind because you already know what their, what their issues and concerns are. And you tell a story about that, and you can tell a story uh, about yourself and how you were in a situation similar to that. and uh, uh, Or you could tell a story about someone else, another client who, who thought that. You know, I, I know how you feel. I used to feel that way until I found out this. Um, so that would be, those would be examples of I know what you're thinking stories. And I think if you... If you don't go into addressing people's fears, concerns, objections, and so forth, if you don't address those on the front end by hitting them head on, uh, by telling stories, then those objections and, uh, and concerns are still going to be there. And once you leave and they're no longer talking with them, you don't have a chance to uh, uh, neutralize those concerns. Um, and then another type of story would be success and failure stories. Uh Again, displaying your, uh, your particular authenticity. Uh, key concept about telling stories 
is they must be authentic and congruent with your motives. Now, if you if if you are in sales primarily to line your own pockets and to make money, uh, and you see other people as uh, folks in which uh, are going to ultimately result in commission checks for you and your main focus is about you and being uh, eye-centered, meaning it's all about me, and that's your whole philosophy and that's who you are and you tend to be uh, more interested in yourself uh, than you are in serving other people, then when you tell stories, they're going to be incongruent because people are very perceptive they're going to pick up on that. However, if, if you're in sales because it's a calling or it's a mission or it's something you feel like that, that is why you're put on this earth uh, to serve other people, then when you tell a story, it will come across, your story will come across as being authentic and congruent with who you are. So, you know, I, what I would say is don't tell a story to someone if that's not who you really are or what you believe because they'll see right through it. You'll do more harm than good. Just don't even tell the story at all if you can't tell a story that really is uh, congruent with who you really are. Uh, and um, we're, almost, we're almost done here. Uh, you are the story, folks. You, the storyteller, are the story. So when it comes time to tell the story, the one thing you must realize is it's showtime. And you need to get in the state of mind, emotionally, physically, body language, tone of voice. You need to go on stage and perform. So that means when you get out of your vehicle and you're going in for an appointment, you best be prepared as if you were in the green room of a stage somewhere about to go on stage because you're about to go on stage. One of the things I do before a sales call is I do something called a two-minute drill. I have a two-minute drill I go through and I close my eyes and I mentally go through what my objectives are and what I'm trying to do and what, what I'm going to try and accomplish on the call. I go through what my initial questions are going to be. I go through what my initial opening is going to be. In other words, I mentally rehearse the first couple minutes of my sales call while I'm there. Now, I've been doing this 33 years and I still do the rehearsal mentally to get myself in the state of mind so that when I walk in, I walk in and I have the mindset that I own the place and that they're going to buy what it is I'm selling. So if you don't do that, if you're not prepared for showtime, if you're not prepared to be on and have the spotlight on you, then your story will be boring and won't have much passion, and as a result, won't connect with people very much.
And how do you do that? The same as you do anything else that, that you're successful at. And that is lots and lots of preparation. Meaning you sit down, you write out, you craft your stories, you take stories, you cut stories from whatever sources you can get. I have a whole file folder full of stories. And those stories, uh, all are, I have them filed by category. So that when I want to tell a, when I want to make a point about something, whether it's whether I'm writing an article or I'm writing a blog post or I'm doing a webinar or I'm uh, teaching live or selling, I have those stories that I can pull from because I can't remember all the stories. I mean, I can remember my stories, but I can't remember, for instance, the bicycle story if I don't have that filed somewhere that I can pull out and use. So that's all about the preparation, and that's what a professional does, is they study, they prepare, they rehearse, and they do all those kinds of things. So uh, if you are to, uh, to join the ranks of the ultra-elite in selling, then you will become a master storyteller. If you aren't a master storyteller, you'll probably do okay if you work hard, but you won't probably ever achieve uh, the status of of the folks who are doing exceptionally well in selling if you don't learn to tell stories. Thank you for listening to the Profitable Persuasion Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. Your next step is to go to newschoolselling.com slash two-minute trainer and download your free two-minute sales training manual. We've prepared 10 sales training tips that will drastically improve your game in less than two minutes. Get it today at newschoolselling.com slash two-minute trainer. Finally, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. We look forward to hearing from you. Wishing you all the success you have the guts to claim. We'll see you on the next episode of the Profitable Persuasion Podcast.